0: This is episode 38 with Olympic trials marathon qualifier, multiple national champion, and the 2017 Leadville Trail 100 champion, Ms. Devin Yanko. What's up everyone? Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and it's my job to bring you inspiring runners, coaches, doctors, and other experts to help you run faster, improve, and stay committed to this great sport. And I've got a great show for you today. We have the recent winner of the 2017 Leadville Trail 100 Devin Yanko. She's just awesome to talk with, guys, and uh, I think you'll find that out for yourself when you're listening. She's run more than 30 marathons and 30 ultras since 2006, with most of them being a win or a course record. And I could go on and on about her accomplishments and national championships, but instead, uh, check out all the details on the Strength Running blog. Just go to strengthrunning.com slash podcast, and you'll see a link for this episode, number 38, with a lot of resources from the show and more info on Devin too. You might also recognize Devin as one of the contributors to The Little Black Book of Prevention and Recovery, which features other pro runners like Amelia Boone, Max King, Dathan Ritzenheim, Ian Sharman, Joseph Gray. I mean, the list goes on. And each of these elite runners talked about what they think is most important for staying healthy in the long term. Everything from specific exercises to mindsets and big picture training ideas. It includes a lot and it has a lot of unique insights that I don't think you should miss. Just go to strengthrunning.com slash elites, that's plural, to get your free copy. Okay, today I'm talking with Devin about her win at Leadville. Last year in 2016, I was in Leadville two days before the race, where I actually met the eventual winner, Ian Sharman of the men's race, and I watched a truly epic beer mile on the course of the race itself. And uh, you know, while I have absolutely zero desire to race hundred miles over a bunch of mountains, I'm fascinated by the adventure. And Whether or not you have any ultramarathon aspirations, this conversation is, I think, interesting, it's fun, and it's really helpful to any runner who wants more mental toughness and to get more out of themselves in any race situation. All right, without further delay, please welcome Ms. Devin Yanko. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited you're here.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So it's been, what, 11 days or so since Leadville. Uh, Have you gone running since then?
1: Uh, yeah, I've actually gone running three or four times. Um, my body, my my body actually feels really good. Um, I'm being super. Um, I'm calling it my off season. It just means that I'm taking days off when I feel like it. Um, not really pushing too hard on anything. So yeah, I've been running and feel good.
0: So it seems pretty informal. You're just doing what your body is telling you that it feels good doing
1: yeah and I'm this is you know this is the first time that I've run a hundred miler where I actually had cleared my schedule afterwards um all my other races I mean ultra runners tend to be like you cross the finish line of one race and the first thing people ask you is like what's your next race and this is the first time when I uh I actually have nothing planned um, and I actually planned you know uh, an off season, you know, I'm, I've taken time off social media. I'm taking a break from formal training and I don't necessarily usually do that. Um, I still am staying active and like wanting to run and doing other things. It's just kind of playing it by ear.
0: Now, how long do you normally take off after a hundred? Do you have like a, 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 a formal kind of specific number of days off that you usually stick with or, or how do you usually think about that?
1: Um, I don't. Um, I, I think the most number of days I've ever taken off after a hundred is like five days. Um, I, I am also the type of person that generally, um, like my, my legs and things like that bounce back pretty quickly. Uh, last year after Western States, um, I didn't bounce back quite as quickly because I had, um, one of, I had a really bad blister under one of my toenails that got infected and I had to have surgically removed and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I had like a shin problem, but generally, um, I just kind of play it by ear. I like to get, you know, m- doing some light movement after a couple of days just to kind of like get rid of some of the stiffness, but I try to just listen to my body.
0: Let's, let's talk about those five days that, you know, you kind of typically take off maybe four days, sometimes somewhere around there. What do those days look like for you? Do you have like a specific recovery routine in terms of some of the tools that you do your approach to sleep? Can you, can you walk us through that?
1: Well, last week was glorious. Like I didn't set my alarm. Um, I, I flew back from the race, the day of the race. So like I flew back on Sunday night. So I finished at 1246 in the morning and I flew back at 5 p.m. So the next day, um, I, I'm pretty religious about getting like sports massage. So every Monday I go. So that was like the first thing I did. Um, and then, you know, over the course of the week, it's really funny. I think about last week and I'm like, it, I got to Friday and I was like, I don't even know where the week went. Like I, it just kind of evaporated because I didn't. I didn't really have a lot of structure to my time. I just I was sleeping like 12 hours a night, really um focusing on that. I I I haven't I don't generally do anything in term like after a race like specifically in terms of foam rolling or anything like that. I I kind of like see where is bothering me and in this particular race like my body just felt really good. Um so I knew that <laughs> um the biggest thing for me was going to be the depletion of my like energy and my immune system, and as I mentioned, I d- did end up getting sick. Um, and so, it's being really conscious about that, um, and just you know, focusing on enjoying the time after, as opposed to being like, oh, now I must structure my recovery time. It's like, how about I take like a couple of days to just be like a non-running human being, a very hungry non-running human being. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, have you been sampling more baked goods from your bakery over the last 11 uh, days?
1: Yeah, um, I, well, so I'm actually uh, gluten intolerant and I have been my whole life. And um, our bakery is fully glutinous. Um, I don't have celiac, um, at least I've you know, never been tested while eating gluten. Um, and one of our signature items is a fried egg sandwich on our fully glutinous bread. And I decided last Monday that I was going to have one for the first time, and just consequences be damned, I'm going to eat this Friday sandwich because it is our most popular item, and it was amazing. It was like, the, <laughs> well I, worth I just, it. I understand why people are obsessed with my bakery now. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I, I can only imagine. Now you mentioned before that um, you know you don't have a specific you know, recovery routine that you follow after uh, a, a race, and you kind of just are focusing on being a non runner. Yeah. Is that a way just to to get some mental recovery too, just to distance yourself from the grind of training? And, you know, the race itself? Is Is that how you think about that time, too?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely I'm somebody who runs because I love it and because I have a strong passion for it and so I know that that can't exist on high all the time and that you know it's really easy to fall into the trap you know like there like Thursday of last week I started having kind of like the mental come down of like coming off the high of the race and I started like you know looking up other races and I was like but I you know because i I wanted that mental buoy, you know, you were like, "Oh my gosh, racing's so amazing after you have a good race." And I was like, i I know for myself that I'm not actually there with wanting to race and to do the training. Um, and so being a normal person and like actually taking that break from actually being focused on training is really vital because you know i I'm really good at like putting in the mileage and grinding for a really long time. But I tend to, um, I tend to, even though I've been doing this for 11 years, I still get it wrong and I'll like end up, you know, mentally burnt out before I end up taking time off. Not like super burnt out, but like, I'll be like, Oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And then I'm like, Oh, that's because I've been going at this race after race for months at a time. So, um, um, yeah, it really does help me reset and get excited for things in the future.
0: Well, that's good to hear because I typically tell my athletes after a big race that you know let let's take some time off from running, and I don't want you really think about running. Let's yeah. practice being a non-runner for at least a couple of days. And it gives you a nice little mental reset so that you're not constantly focused on your training. You're not worrying about, am I eating too close to my run? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I, you know, all the the little things that we have to worry about as runners so that we can prioritize our training. You know, these are important things, but at the same time, man, it's just a lot of decisions and small things you have to worry about throughout the day. So I think it's a a valuable time just to take a step back, take a breath and relax for a little while.
1: Yeah. And I mean, going into Leadville, like I was being so like every part of my life was focused around getting as prepared as I could for that race. So like even my sleep, we're sleeping in an altitude tent so that, you know, it's like even in my sleep, I'm training. And so to like get through the race, just be like, oh, huh, I don't like, I don't have to worry about the 4:55 AM alarm. I don't have to You know, I don't actually have to think about whether or not I foam roll that spot or, you know, that kind of thing. It's nice to just have that that flexibility. And it's, you know, it's about restoring that balance, too.
0: Yeah, that balance is crucial. Now, speaking of balance, did you run the beer mile two days before Leadville?
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) Uh, that Um, with, I, I think I had, I was just getting, I just got there on that day. Um, one of my pacers actually ran it. So
0: that's awesome. I was actually (laughs) there, uh, not this year, but in 2016. Uh, and I met, I met Ian Sharman there who was, who was the the male winner this year. Uh, and last year too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And it's just such a scene. If if you ever have a chance just to go and watch, it is such a crazy scene because it's not on a track like a normal beer mile. It's like out on this little dirt road. I mean, you have these crazy mountain views. It's very picturesque. And then, you know, there's just a bunch of people pounding beers and running 200 meters down and back on
1: the road. Yeah, at 10,200 feet. Right. You're, you're not <laughs> doing yourself any
0: favors at that altitude.
1: Yeah, I feel like I would uh, not have made it through that. <laughs>
0: so you'd you rather win, run, you run
1: hundred miles? <laughs> yeah,
0: the the beer miles too much, but the the hundred miler's fine. Yes, totally. Now, at what point in this race did you start thinking yourself, "Holy crap, I might win this thing"? Is and then is that is that motivating for you, or are you more like internally motivated?
1: Um. <clears throat> well, with this race, um. I had very specific internally motivated goals about the way I wanted to mentally approach the race. Um and I was very um like I was it was very important to me to not lose that focus because I didn't I wanted to see if I could get through a hundred miler and not go to a super like dark, twisty place and like not end up like sitting and crying for any reason other than like the only time I cried in this race was when I tripped at mile 53 and hit my head on a rock and I hit my head so loud. My husband could hear it behind me. He was pacing me. Um, so yeah, it was pretty bad. I really, I messed up. I, I still have a big gash on my arm. It was, it was pretty dramatic, uh, but it was fine. Um, and so the first half of the race, um, I really focused on just my effort level because I knew that the way that me as a C-level person would get through this race was never pushing too hard. And so I was really focusing on, I don't care where I am in the race. I have no idea. Numerous people early on were like, you're so far back. You should not either I'm going too fast or you're going too slow. And I'm like, I'm not even going to comment on what I think <laughs> of that. Um, and I, so, you know, it's an out and back. So I can, for the most part, stay blissfully unaware. Um, And nobody was really telling me, or, like, for the first 40 miles, nobody said anything about my position. Um, So I assumed that I was, like, way behind. Um, There were some people in the field who I knew were going to go out extraordinarily fast, and they did do that. Um, So I... I was just like, well, I guess I'm really far back, but I'm doing what I can do and I'm having a good time. I'm enjoying myself. Um, And when I went to the turnaround, that was when I realized I was in second place. And um, then you start, you know, you're on an out and back. So then I'm getting as I'm heading back out towards like the biggest, hardest part of the course, which is the second time back over Hope Pass every single person is giving me a report of how many minutes ahead she was. I was in second at that point. <laughs> so every single person told me exactly how far I was behind her and how she looked compared to me. Um, is that a good thing? Um, you know what? I had said I didn't want to really race until like mile 70 or, you know, mile 60 at best kind of is like, I, I know I can be, I'm really strong in the last 40 miles, but like, we're, we're like just over halfway into a hundred mile race. Like it is way too early to be hyped about any of that. Like so much can happen. And so um, it was fine. Um, I focused then on kind of distracting people by just being super to every single person that was coming down off the pass. As I was going up, I was like, you're doing amazing. You're doing awesome. You're doing amazing. And then they didn't, you know, they just stopped telling me all of that stuff because I would, they were so shocked that I was being encouraging, um, to them as, you know, cause they're 10 miles behind me or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so I knew that it didn't matter on that climb because it's over 3000 feet in, like two miles or something going up to the highest point on the course that like all I was focused on was getting over the top. Um, And if the things that people were saying to me were true, then I knew that I was going to catch her without, you know, that I was already taking back time without increasing my effort. So I basically just continued focusing on what I was doing. And then like right before we caught, we caught her, Um, like a half mile before the bottom of Hope Pass um, going into the mile 68 station. So it was like 1.5 miles before that, the eight station in Twin Lakes. Um, When I saw her, like my husband who was pacing me and it was like, how do you want to do this? And I was like, I'm going to like, make sure she's okay. like, say hi, how you doing? And then like, I put a little bit of an effort to just kind of do it definitively. Um, so I passed her very definitively. I managed to put eight mile eight, eight minutes on her in a mile and a half.
0: <laughs> now we're talking that's, yeah that's the that's the competitor in you nice,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, and I knew that part of the terrain was like conducive to that, and she said she was having everybody was saying that she was sitting and like she was having ankle problems. both of her ankles were taped, so I knew that if I was gonna do something definitive, it would be on that terrain where she might be a little bit more uncertain, so you know, I get through mile 60 and I'm, you know, I'm now in the lead of like the race that has been on my bucket list for the longest time since before I was even ultra runner, like this race that I just am so excited to be here. And I'm like, and now I have 40 more miles. (laughs) And, you know, that's when like, you have to kind of settle back into like, yes, I'm in the lead, but I still have to run this. I have to go back to the same philosophy I was running it before, which is like running my own race and not getting caught up in the idea of being in the lead and not making any mistakes. Um, so I really just went back to like, once I got through the like the big aid station at mile 60, you know, there was like, some of my wazel teammates had come out. Like, you know, it's just a huge aid station because it's an out and back course. So a lot of crews are there. Like, I just kind of had to settle in and be like, this is a really long grind to the finish. And so, um, it, it does like, there were definitely moments where like, I kind of started to like get caught up in that mindset of like, I'm in the lead. What if I lose the lead? And then I was like, well, then that's, what's going to happen. And I have to, I actually just have to keep running my race and those things will happen or not, you know, accordingly. So
0: you can't exactly start celebrating with 40 miles <laughs> left of running left, I guess.
1: No, no, for sure. And, you know, and I also know in all of my previous hundreds, like the last 40 miles has really been my strongest, like the, my strongest stretch. And so I know that there, and and the girl that was behind me, she's not somebody that I'm, I'm familiar with. So like, in my mind, like anytime I kind of wanted to like even take my foot off the gas a little bit, I reminded myself like, this is what I do. Like I am a great closer and that I had to make the assumption that she was too, you know, like I just, I can't be like, Oh, I know how you run and I know that you're going to fall apart or whatever. Like I know, I just have to assume that they're like me and that they can run faster in the last 40 miles than the rest of the race basically. Um, so yeah, it was uh it's a long forty miles, but it kept me motivated.
0: Yeah, sure. I actually love that strategy for I think any race, and anytime you're doing really well and you're worried about the competition that's behind you, you know, you can always say to yourself, you know, they might be better than I think they are. And that'll keep you honest. That'll keep you from uh, settling or, you know, slowing down or or being happy with a with a lower effort or a slower pace. I, I actually really li- like that as a way of, of keeping yourself motivated in the later miles of a race to keep pushing and striving.
1: Yeah. And at when, at the last aid station, which is really far from the finish line and a hundred it's may queen is like 13 miles from the finish line. That's the last time you have aid. My husband was like, do you want to know what's going on in the race? And I was like, Oh uh, yeah. He's like at the the previous aid station. I was only 18 minutes ahead and like, 18 minutes seems like a long time, but 18 minutes when you're, when you have like two and a half to three hours more running isn't really not that much. He's like, so she's looking strong and you, he's like, you need to, you need to run this section strong. And like up until that point, it's not that I had, I had kind of had a, like a little lull coming right before that. And so that's, and you know, he was like, but this is what you do. This is what you're good at. And from that point on, I just was like, you know what? I have nothing. I have no other races on the schedule. I can put everything on the line right now and really push. And I ended up running that last 13 miles, like on the fastest, the faster side of the spectrum. And like, I didn't like I I had been thinking, oh, I might need walk breaks. And I didn't walk at all. And it's, you know, even the last four miles, which are all uphill, basically, like, I felt good enough to push. And it was You know, using at that point, then I wanted to use the competition to say now is when I do this and now is when I, you know, very definitively put the hammer down by using that competition. And I ended up um, beating her by 30 minutes. So, you know, I really did put it all out there at the end.
0: That's a great close. Now, now tell us what the last mile of the Leadville Trail 100 feels like where were you just like nonstop smiles knowing that you're about to win. What's going through your head at that point?
1: Well, it's funny because you run. Uh, I, it's actually the road that they do the beer mile on. Um, you end up on this like dirt road that goes on forever. And like, you know, you're it's just like me and my pacer, huffing and puffing up this hill. And then all of a sudden, like you pop out and you're like in the town of Leadville. And Um, my crew was there and they can run in with you. Um, And of course it's uphill still. Um, And like with one mile to go, it was finally the moment when I said like, I'm actually going to win this. Um, And that like, I had joked like, you know, about not wanting to cry. And then I was like, I feel like I want to cry. But then it was like, but if I start crying, I will stop being able to breathe. So we're going to just not cry right now. Um, I just was so happy. And, you know, honestly, the like winning is amazing. But the fact that I mentally was able to have the race that I wanted to, I felt like it was the best race I've ever run mentally. So like in that last mile, I was really able to celebrate like the fact that I had done this journey in the way that I had set out to. Um, so it was, it was awesome. It's also like the middle of the night. So it's like, you know, finishing ultras, you're like, you, like you're get closing in on the finish line. You're like, is there anybody actually up there? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You finished at about 1230 in the morning.
1: Yeah. Now, do yeah. you have
0: any, do you have any low points in the race? It sounds like besides hitting your head, which clearly is a low point, um, you know, even mentally speaking, it sounds like you had a great race. I mean, you were uh, engaged with the race itself. You seemed like you had a really great positive attitude. You closed well. Um, you know, what, if, if there were any maybe mental areas that you could improve, uh, what might those be?
1: You know, I, in terms of mentally, I felt like I handled things really, really well. Um, my physical low point came just after mile 40 when I was heading up hope pass for the first time. Um, I, you know, I had all day been so in control, feeling fine, like everything feeling good. No, you know, no problems with altitude. And then all of a sudden, just all at once, um, I got really dizzy and like, it was just like, I got just, just, it felt like the altitude just like snuck up and just ripped my head off. And like, I got really low energy, you know, and I'm now starting to climb like 3000 feet going up to the highest point for the first time. And, you know, like in that moment, you're like, Oh, God, Oh, no, here it comes. Like, and I've done that climb enough in training to know, like, how, like, how bad it's gonna be, like how hard it is. And I was really proud of myself in that moment, because I just started laughing. And I was like, plot twist, you know, like I actually said that out loud because I was like, you know, instead of seeing this as like a bad, you know, a bad thing and, oh, things are going to go sideways. It was like, it's just a plot twist. Like, this is just where the story takes this different turn. And so because I literally said that out loud, I like started laughing and then I just kind of focused, was able to focus back on just continuing to move forward. Um, and, You know, I, I definitely feel like, I don't, I don't really think that there was ever any moment mentally when I, that I could have done better. The the funny, when I hit my head, it was kind of funny because like, you know, I had said I wasn't going to cry. And so I like jumped up and I was like super angry. And I was like, cause you know, I really like, it just totally obliterated myself. You know, I was feeling really great. We were running and I, you know, I, I just do the stupid thing. And I had this moment of anger and like my instinct was just to keep going. Um, and my husband actually like grabbed me and bear hugged me and was like, you need to just take a moment and like feel it and let it go. And I think, you know, in that moment, that's what I did. I took like a, you know, big sobby breath. And then I was like, Oh yeah, I should actually just deal with the fact that that sucked and that really hurt. And then let it go as opposed to like taking it forward with me. Um, so yeah, I feel like I was as bright and sunny sunshine as I have ever been in the race.
0: <laughs> well, that's incredible. I mean, that's something that a lot of people struggle with. And uh, I think for you to to run 100 miles on some of the toughest terrain that you can find in the United States uh, is, is just an awesome accomplishment. And it's one of those accomplishments that uh, you're not going to get a medal for. You know, you didn't you know, this isn't your win. This isn't you yeah. know getting a PR on a certain course. This is just finishing a race, feeling good in a great mental spot. And yeah. man, if we could if we could get that for every race, I think we'd be racing every weekend. <laughs> yeah,
1: I had a friend beforehand. Um, you know, I I had told him that like the way I wanted to run the race was with like joy and gratitude, and I wanted to be calm, and I wanted to. I was like, I want to be the happy I want everybody to think that I was the happiest person out there and you know he reminded me when I told him that he's like and you also race your best when you're like running for joy and you know running because you love it and so like every time that like that mentality would be challenged you know where like uh I have 40 more miles to go like you know, where you had to have those, like where I could feel my my mindset want to shift, I just would refocus. And I was really proud of myself for like never having to pull myself too far back. I just made the choice in the moment to be like, nope, this is what I'm doing. And yeah, I mean, it really did make the day really special.
0: Let's talk about this uh, this. I guess, idea or, or phenomenon in ultra running that I don't have any experience with. And, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, a lot of ultra runners talk about having multiple times during the race where they hit the wall. So I think a lot of runners are familiar with hitting the wall in the marathon. You know, the cliche is at the 20 mile mark. But in an ultra, I've heard a lot of folks say that it happens multiple times, but you end up getting through it. You pull out of it. Uh is that true and and how do you deal with that during a really long race like that
1: Oh yeah it's definitely true I mean the the peaks and valleys that you go through in a 100 mile race I mean it is a cliche to say but it's it is like a life in a day and like the things like like the walls that I have hit like when I try to explain like how hard of how hard you can hit the wall in a hundred miler and keep going. Like I try to explain that to people who have like hit the wall on a marathon. I'm like, no, this is like you, like you are, your whole body is melting. And then you still run like 50 more miles. Like <laughs> it is, it's insane. And like, I, it took me a while. Like I've hundred mile distance is not my favorite distance. I love more like the 50 mile distance, but you know, having done you know a few hundred miles now like what I've learned over time is to trust in that process like trust that you can come back from these you know you're basically like stumbling down the trail and like everything's going wrong your body's falling apart you you know you're having you're in the chair you're crying whatever it is and to like have the faith to know that you can actually bring yourself out of that and that you have the time to do so um I mean, last year, Western States, even before the hardest part of the course, like I spent like 30 to 40 minutes sitting in a chair because I had my crew had I had missed my crew and I had made a mistake. I had gotten flustered and I hadn't like taken enough fuel. And so I had run out of fuel and like I got really dehydrated. And so like I had to sit there in this like I uh, like I'm sitting there going, I have I don't know how I can run another, you know. 55 miles. Like, I sat there for a really long time just watching people go by. Just, you know, I dropped uh, to like overall like 55th place, and I was like not in the top 10 of women, or I was like barely in the top 10 of women, and I ended up running third. Like, I got out of that chair and I just like went, it was like uh, I was like a new person. Like, it was like I got shot out of a cannon, you know? And it's, it is really crazy but it's something that you kind of have to like learn and experience that you can go through. Um, and I do notice that as the sport expands, like that when people like transition from the road, that oftentimes it takes them a few tries to actually learn that they can run through that, those, those moments. Um, And to like actually can break through those walls, they'll be like, oh, I'm done. I have this problem or whatever, you know, and then you're like, "Mm, no, you probably could keep going. You just have to just work the problem is what I I say.
0: Yeah, I do agree with you there because just looking at myself, I come from like a track background. I ran cross country and track in high school and college. And so for me, when the gun goes off, there's this, you know, incredible urgency to get to the finish line. And You can't really have that kind of high-level emergency uh or urgency when you're running a hundred mile distance or even when you're running a, a 50 mile or even a 50k, because yeah. there's just so much that that can happen and will happen, and you really have to teach yourself to be a little bit more patient. Um, you know, hearing you t- the fact that you were sitting in a chair for 30 to 40 Mm -hmm. minutes, you know, when I think back to some races and, you know, I took a misstep or I fell or, you know, someone cut me off and I tripped and, you know, the race is over. You know, I lost five seconds and those five seconds are the difference between placing and not placing or a PR and a not PR. So why, why even try for the rest of the race, but you can't have that kind of mindset when you're running these distances. And and I would also say even for, you know, maybe the marathon distance too, where there is a little bit of buffer where you have some time to collect yourself and, you know, to get yourself back on track, Uh, but it takes this whole new, uh, toolkit of, of, different mindsets and your ability to say this isn't the end of the world or even the end of the race. Let's just keep moving forward. And so that, I think that just shows a lot of resilience. And, you know, the more I talk to ultra runners, uh, the more impressed I am with their, their ability to do those things because I know just how hard it is.
1: Yeah. There's a, a book I've been reading. Um, and it, it put it in terms like th- that it's a way that like my brain really, um, resonates with it, they um, it's, I think it's called the brave athlete. And it talks about how only 10% of quits, like 10% of quitting like DNFs are legit quits. And so if you put in that perspective, like if you're really real with yourself when you're out there, like, can I keep going? Can I work through this? Like, is this a legitimate thing? Like knowing that sometimes our brain will actually like, let us off the hook before we physically need to. Like, I think that that is one of the things that ultra running has really taught me is that like, don't believe everything that you think you will be like, I'm done. My foot's falling off. I can never keep going. And then you're like, Oh, 20 miles later, you're like, Oh, I feel great. (laughs) So, uh, I think it's just kind of like keeping that in mind that like, yes, there are serious problems that come up that will make you need to stop. But, you I think you have to like learn what like how to evaluate that in a different way and like how to adjust on the fly to the circumstances so like say you have stomach problems or say you have something that's going to hold you back it's like can you step back and say okay I can like how do I accommodate for this how do I work around this problem and keep going and get yourself mentally back on track.
0: Absolutely. Now, I'm so glad you said you were reading The Brave Athlete. Um, Simon Marshall and Leslie Patterson, who are the two authors, were previous guests on the podcast. And we talked Sweet. all about mental toughness and, and some of these mindset issues in a lot more detail. Um, but it it is a great book. And what I love about it is it's so readable.
1: Yeah, oh, for sure. And actually, I think that their book um, actually helped me with, you know, when I was talking about having a positive mindset going into Leadville, Um, when they talk about um, computer glitches in their book, you know, like these, sometimes that our brain has these processes that are like really deeply seated that, you know, they don't, they're not actually, they're they're computer glitches. They shouldn't be there. They're, They're errors that we have that kind of like come up instinctually. And so what I realized when I read that is that some of the things that happened to me, like some of the experiences I've had during ultras mentally I go to a place that is kind of like based on that like computer virus or computer glitch where it's like I get negative and I go into this dark place because that is what like that part of my brain is telling me to do. But like by being aware that that is just like a a misfiring of like my brain, I was able to be like, oh, I don't actually have to give that – emotion or that process like I don't have to give it as much space like I have more control over it and I can just bring myself back from it it's not actually information it's just this you know this thing that has been coded into my brain and it exists but now that I'm aware of it and like the way that they talked about it it just really helped me kind of be able to kind of like identify less with that so yeah it's a great book.
0: Yeah, there's some real actionable strategies for, um, you know, dealing with the kinds of feelings that we all have in any race. The feelings of self-doubt, the feelings of, you know, I can't do this, or I'm not going to win, or I'm not going to be a place in my age group. All the things that we worry about, but a lot of those things can either be turned off with the right strategy, or you can use them to your advantage. So you can actually. Uh, almost profit from them in the race and use them to have a better performance. Exactly. Now, did you ever think you'd be winning some of the world's toughest 100-mile ultra marathons when you were just a young kid playing basketball? Is this like a dream come true? I know you said this race was on your bucket list.
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's been kind of crazy. Um, you know, I, growing up, I, I mean, I loved to run when I was in high school. I didn't run track or anything. I just ran on my own. Um, and I was super into basketball. So all of my dreams, you know, when I was a kid were all revolved around, like, I'm going to play in the WNBA. It's going to be great. Um, and you know, when I started running, I, I did it just for myself and, uh, just because I, you know, I, I had always loved it and had been so important to me. And it, like when I kind of realized that I had potential, it was, Like I had, you know, some potential in like ultra running. It was, it's been just an interesting journey and like to come into the sport and like not come, I didn't come to it in the way that I was with basketball, like basketball, I was super competitive and like my identity was wrapped up in like how good of a basketball player I was. And, you know, with running, like I definitely have an athlete identity, but it's not wrapped up in performance. Um, but it is kind of crazy now to like, look at my career. Like this is, I've been doing this for 11 years. Like I've now won, you know, major races all over the world. I've run, you know, some of the fastest times that, you know, North and like, like my Havelina time was the, at the time, the third fastest trail, hundred miler ever. Like it's, it's just kind of crazy to like, look back and be like, wow, like, I've accomplished so many cool things and I've been able to see so many cool things and be a part of this community. So Leadville is definitely like probably the sweetest victory though, just because of like the way I was able to put the race together and also just how iconic it is and like how important, like, you know, before I even knew what this crazy thing of ultra running was, like it was on my list. I don't know why it was on my list. I don't know where I heard about it, but it was on my list. So it's really cool to have won it.
0: <laughs> well, do you do you still play basketball at all?
1: No. I I um there is a um I keep that beast locked locked deep within because every time <laughs> I pick up a basketball, I uh, I am a frightening human being.
0: <laughs> you mean you get super competitive?
1: I get super competitive and I like want to be as good as I was and then I'm not because I haven't played in like 20 years. And so I just, you know, I, uh, I, I just, I am really mean in a game of horse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, funny you should mention horse, uh, our cross country team in college at the end of the season. Once all of our races were done, we had a team wide horse competition and This was like my favorite day of the year. This was better than Christmas. This was better than any cross-country meet uh, because I have a basketball background too. That was like my first passion before I got into running. And I'm just like pretty good. I'm not great in a game, but I'm pretty good at all these like crazy trick shots. Yep. And I was the two-time... Uh, horse champion for the team. And so nice. if you are ever in Denver, Devin, I think we could set up a it's crazy down. game of horse.
1: It's going down. It's going down.
0: All right, let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and just talk about um, one of my favorite topics, injury prevention. And I love talking about this with people who are doing, you know, for lack of a better word, more extreme types of running, you know, 100 mile races up at uh, 10,000 feet, I think qualify. And <laughs> You know, a few months ago, you contributed to a book I put together for uh, our strength running readers about prevention and recovery. And you talked a lot about the importance of a day off. Now, you're you're obviously an ultra runner. You're someone who runs 100 plus miles a week. How in the world do you manage to take a day off with that kind of a schedule?
1: Yeah, it's weird. I have like, um, like on Mondays, I literally, my body, if I try to run on when I try to run on Mondays, my body is like, I don't understand what you want me to do. Why would we do this? Um, I have always just really thrived from the beginning of my running career on taking a day off. Like mentally, it's like instead of taking a really big off season, like taking a full month off every year, I kind of get like this mini break every week. And so, you know, I do pack a lot into six days. Um, And when I'm, you know, that's transitioned, like, over the years, like, the more, the longer I'm doing this, and the more durable, like, I become, or the more miles I have on my body, like, sometimes I'll do like a one day off for two weeks kind of rotation. But knowing that I have that day off, I feel like I put more into my six days of training. And I'm like, I can put everything into this because I am going to be re- be able to recover. And, you know, honestly, that in the, like, I've been running ultras for 11 years. I did my first marathon only one year before that. So I've only had one major injury. And it's very much because I'm allowing my my body time to recover every week. And, you know, I don't, and it's funny because, like, I don't, I totally just, non runner it up on Mondays. Like I just check out, I get my massage, but I'm like, I, I don't cross train. I don't do other stuff. I just enjoy the fact that I don't have to run today. I don't have to get up at 4:50 or whatever in the morning. I can just relax and then be excited to get back to it the next day.
0: Now, with you you know, you own a bakery, are you yeah. at the bakery every day? Does that Monday or, or really any day, I guess, it, are you working like full time in the bakery on your feet in addition to all the training you're doing? How does that work?
1: Uh, not anymore. Um, the first couple of years. So there's kind of like a, I have like a ultra running hiatus on my kind of running resume where like when we opened in 2013 um, for about two and a half years, Uh, I didn't do any ultras because both my husband and I were working, you know, a hundred hours a week on our feet. I ran a lot of marathons, but I never could run very well because it was, I would get to the race and I'd be like, it's a day off. And I'd be so tired that I would just, you know, I basically kept running the same time over and over again. Um, Now I don't have to work on my feet Um, I just work on the like administration side, um, so to speak. So um, occasionally, um, I go in and help out with the baking, but, uh, I do not have the two thirty AM alarm anymore, which is quite nice.
0: Yeah, I could, I could guess so. Um, <laughs> now what is, uh, what does strength training look like for you? Do you do, uh, lifting in the gym or more body weight stuff? Like, can you walk us through that?
1: Um, so I have always like, I mean, going back to basketball days, I always loved strength training. Um, For the first couple years of my, like, I would say half of my career, I just worked, I had a personal trainer when I lived in the city. um, And we would just kind of go through runner specific stuff. Um, Recently, I have been going to a CrossFit gym that's near me. um, And they have both CrossFit and like, more, like, Metcon kind of classes, Um, and um, I really enjoy that. Um, I feel like doing heavy lifting is really good for runners, and actually, like, even though I hadn't been doing it very long leading up to Leadville, I definitely felt, like, overall, like, my body broke down less because I was doing some of the heavier weightlifting, Um, and also, like, at this point in my career, and the one thing about this CrossFit gym is it's not what most people think of as cross, like, it's like, the fact that I'm an ultra runner, they're like, that's super cool. (laughs) Like, they don't, there's no weird, like, oh, you shouldn't be running that much kind of thing. Um, I really like the more, like, be more of a balanced athlete. Um, I feel like I am a better runner when I'm actually like focusing on you know, making sure, especially as a trail runner, like I need to have different types of strength. Like I have to be have lateral movement. I have to be able to jump over logs. I have to be able to carry water bottles for a hundred miles. Like all of these things are super important. And that's um, harder than it sounds, like. Yeah, actually, um, uh, because so last fall I had my first ever long standing injury, and so Leadville was actually my first trail race since last summer and therefore I have not all of the races that I've done this year, even though I've done ultras, I haven't been training with a pack or a water bottle. And one of the things that actually happened at Leadville um, pretty early on is that I started having basically like pain in my neck from carrying the water bottles because it like changes how I carry my arm carriages. And so because I have you know, basically only had like six weeks of training for bill because I only signed up for it like six weeks before. <laughs> um, I, what my body wasn't used to that much, like carrying that much for that long. Um, and so I like actually was getting, my arms were going numb because like, I guess two of my vertebrae actually moved out of place, um, from this action. So like, I'm in the middle of a hundred mile race and I need to carry my water bottles and it's like causing me this pain. And it's like, it does really make a difference. Ultimately it was fine because Leadville allows muling, um, meaning my pacers actually carried my pack, um, for the second half of the race. It's glorious. I mean, I never, I, 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 I want to have a meal in every race from now on. <laughs> yeah, that does sound, sound really nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it really does make a difference. Um, just in your body breakdown in those later miles. Like I wouldn't have been able to run at the end if I wasn't, you know, strong enough to get to that point in like good shape.
0: Now, tell me more about these Metcon classes. I assume that means metabolic um, conditioning. conditioning. Yeah. What, what kind of a workout might that look like?
1: Um, So it kind of combines uh, some more like either running or rowing with other like it's, it's less as opposed to like CrossFit where you can do like heavier weights and things like that. The Metcon stuff is more about like doing higher repetitions and getting your heart rate up. So the other day we did um, a workout that was basically like toes to bars, which I don't know if you know what that is. It's very hard. You're basically just hanging and trying to, you know, get your feet to touch the bar. I can get my like knees to the bar. Um, and we're alternating doing a ladder of that and interspersed. It's either a 200 meter row or a 200, uh, 250 meter row and a 200 meter run. I tend to row in that class because I already do my running. So I think it helps me build my strength. But so we're doing, we did that for 15 minutes. And every time you go back to the toast to bars, you do like five more. So it would be like five, 10, 15, 20, 25. So, you're working on strength, right? You're hanging from the bar. you're b- b- blasting your core and then you're, sw- s- you know, going to the rowing and back and forth that way. Um, it's just a little bit higher intensity. So you get kind of like, I get a little bit more on the conditioning side versus like the more heavier weight stuff that we can do in other CrossFit workouts. So it, like box do you jumps do and sometimes? things like that. Uh, yeah. So I try to do both of them because like... I really enjoy the metcon stuff, but I don't necessarily like in a peak week for me of running before Leadville. Like I don't need more conditioning. I need the more strength-based stuff. So, um but this gym has both, so it's awesome.
0: Now, do you do any aerobic cross-training, you know, like aqua jogging, cycling, anything like that?
1: Um I you know, I over the last year um with the injury, I definitely got more into that. Um, I do some pool running with friends. I have a friend who owns an elliptigo, which I really like. Um, I'm not a super fan of the, of biking mostly because I'm really good at crashing. Um, uh, <laughs> 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 way too good at crashing. Um, but I generally don't really have aerobic cross training in my schedule. Um, most of, I basically do. Run like doubles and running, and yeah, so I don't really trade it out unless I have something that's problematic coming up,
0: right? And there's only so much pool running that you can do before you just want to go down to the bottom of the pool and not come back up, yeah. (laughs) Now, you mentioned before you've only had a few major injuries, what were they?
1: Um, so this past year, I had like it's, I literally can only, it was in my left foot. Um, I don't have a definitive diagnosis because nobody could ever agree what was wrong with me. Um, which was super problematic in getting it healthy. Um, I was training last fall for the world championships for trail ultra. I made, I was on, I was supposed to run for team USA in Portugal and my coach and I, made the mistake of adding too much vertical because European races are way steeper than like anything we see in the States. And so we just did so much vertical and my foot, um, it turned out I had something called a tarsal coalition, coalition in my foot where two of my bones are connected. Um, and because of that, um, like my foot was lacking in some flexibility. So if you imagine taking like an inflexible foot and then doing, an insane amount of vertical like my I basically lost all the dorsiflexion in my foot I just like went from running to basically like not being able to barely walk on my foot um and so the long and the short of it is like I had to get back the dorsiflexion and like they they found the tarsal coalition and then I was back running in March and then something in my And like I had the whole, I missed like three months last fall. Um, So I was back running, raced the first week in March. And then four days after my first race post-injury, something in my foot broke. Um, They thought it was the Tarsal Coalition. Um, So they were like, great, you broke your Tarsal Coalition. You don't need to have surgery. You're good to go. Just carry on. Um, it might hurt like for a while it might be like arthritic. And um, so I have basically just been running on my foot since then. And it's, uh, it's actually interesting because it's started feeling arthritic. Like uh, I did comrades at the beginning of June and like a week before that race, I noticed that my foot just kind of hurt all the time in like a very mild way. Like, an arthritis kind of way. Um, and it hurt all summer leading up to Leadville in the same way. Like when I run, it doesn't hurt. After the run, I look like a little old lady because my foot gets really stiff and I hobble around. Um, but actually on the day at, at Leadville and since then, my foot has not hurt at all. Um, which is very strange. Um, but basically that, you know, with the tarsal coalition breaking or possibly now I had another doctor look at it and they think that I might've broken something else. So like there's like some arthritis pain in there, but pain is not arthritis pain is not injury. So that's why I kept running on it, but also why I'm taking off season now to make sure that I like figure that out. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, I want to still have a healthy foot. So, But that's really the only injury that I've sustained in my running career of any substance. You know, I've had like little muscle niggles here and there, but um, nothing, nothing major.
0: Well, that's incredible. I mean, you just needed 100 miles on technical terrain to to loosen up your foot.
1: (laughs) Apparently. Yeah, it was like I made this whole speech to my crew about how I was going to try to convince them to let me quit. Because my foot hurts, you know. I was like, I will tell you that my foot hurts, and I need to quit. And you're not going to let me because it's just pain. And like, it didn't hurt at all the whole time. And I was like, all right, that's gonna. That was weird, but <laughs> yeah. So
0: and then it um, felt great.
1: Yeah, I. It's. <clears throat> I mean, the Carl Mel, uh, Metzler who runs for Hoka as well. Um, he, <laughs> somebody told me that what what Carl says is that you know when he gets an injury, he just goes out and runs a hundred miles. And by the end it's, um, it, the injury fixed. So maybe that is a, a new flop. And maybe that actually works.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I need to see some studies first. on Yeah. That
1: I think I would need some studies on that, but you know, apparently in this case it, it did help the pain.
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome. So yeah. Devin, thanks so much for being here. Uh, congratulations on your, your win at Leadville. I hope you have a really uh, fun fall of running. I know you don't have any races planned or, you know, you're not doing any super formal training right now. So I hope it's just really fun. And, uh, I just want to acknowledge you for being so open and receptive to your fans. You've been so incredibly gracious with both your time, uh, for this podcast and for our, our book on prevention and recovery. So thank you so much for that.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
0: All right, Devin, we'll let you go. Um, but first, but right before we do, uh, if people want to follow along with your uh, your running, your training, where can we find you?
1: At Fast foodie is on Twitter. And I think, is it on Twitter that I have the underscore? Instagram that I had the underscore? I don't know. I'm sure you can post that somewhere so they can find me that way.
0: <laughs> yes, now there is, I, I'm actually, I just checked. There's an underscore between Fast and Foodie in your Twitter handle. There we go. So there's And that. not on
1: Instagram. And just so you know, I won't I'm still not on social media for a couple more weeks. So I'll say hi when I get back. <laughs>
0: sure thing. That's great. Enjoy your social media sabbatical. I bet it's I bet it was just gonna be very refreshing. Yes. Definitely. All right, take care, Devin. All right, you too. And there we have my conversation with Devin. I hope you found it inspiring. I hope you found it helpful to your running. And if you did, might I ask for an honest iTunes review of the podcast? It means a lot and is super helpful in bringing the podcast to more runners. And uh, last thing before you head out, don't forget to download your free copy of The Little Black Book of Prevention and Recovery at strengthrunning.com slash elites. You'll hear more from Devin about how she stays healthy and prevents injuries when she's running 80, 90, 100-plus miles per week. The URL for the download is strengthrunning.com slash elites. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Run strong.